Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of environmental sensitivity, surfing, the outdoors, and making whiskey in California. That's right. I interview all kinds of people. I've even interviewed people that ran a restaurant at one point. But today we're talking to Jeff Duckhorn from Redwood Empire Whiskey. Some really, really nice whiskey. They do some blends. They make some of their own stuff. And Jeff even lets the cat out of the bag at the end of the conversation that there is some single malt coming. You know, it was a beautiful day at the East Austin Hotel. We're up in the rooftop bar sitting in the beautifully lit. It's a very strange room, but it's very cool, comfortable. And I sat and interviewed Jeff. Good dude. You know, there's been some interviews with him, but I don't think any of them have been like this. So without further ado, I hope you all enjoy this great chat with Jeff Duckhorn from Redwood Empire Whiskey. That's a great call out. I, I, I did catering for a summer. I had desires early on in my life, call it, you know, late teens, early twenties of being a chef. Like mm. I wanted to be a professional chef. And then I did catering for a summer and had to make the same food day in and day out. And I realized that I, I don't, I don't want to be a chef. I just want to be able to experiment at home and make cool foods, but, but whatever I want to make, I'm, I'm not, not great at following a recipe. You know, it's funny too, because I ask you about me, I always ask everybody about music, right? So drums aren't necessarily creative, but it sounds like somewhere in you, you still have this creative bone. Is it something that you kind of noticed early on? Like, it, was it culinary? Was just the way that you could have kind of express that creativity? Was it with writing or painting, anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I don't, not classically in the art ways. I've, I've never been good at writing or painting. I, I, I love math, actually. I'm really good at numbers. Yeah. And so I think drums and I think music, you know, and that's, uh, you know, my son, I think is really good at music, but he's good at math too. I think there's some, some, somewhere where those intersect where, where math and numbers and music, you know, intersect. So I think my creativity is kind of in a different direction. Yeah. So you, are you a California boy? Born and raised? Born and raised for the most part. There's yeah. been some Northwest stint and a, uh, Idaho stint along the way, but more or less California. The, this kind of connection to the land and the process and your kind of like inner guttural ways to create, like, does this come from the family? Do you come in? in I've been told maybe you're affiliated with the winery. I don't know. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're well, we can get that out of the way. So, <laughs> but, See, but, but I'm not a wine guy. I was yeah. talking Florian about it, right? Sure. Like we talk about mezcal all day. That's where varietals and vintages come to me. So knowing that you came from that wine world, was there any expectation that you had to carry the torch? Well, it was same? It was my aunt and uncle, so it wasn't direct family, but it was definitely in the background. And so I think it was inspirational, if anything, but there mm. wasn't so much a pressure as a, oh, this is a, a possibility. You, you, you can be in a business like this and be successful. Yeah. It's, you know, so 
so yeah, it was it was always a something lingering in the background as a possibility. So definitely peripheral to the life that you for you sure. Lived. Yeah, I mean, wine was always available at the table from a pretty early age, and alcohol was was something that was around and mm. not really taboo growing up. Did you get out there and? into the vines and picking and juicing and, and stuff like that? A little bit, yeah. I mean, we were, for a while, lived in Napa and, and then in Marin County, which is pretty close to that. So I had opportunities to go hang out at the winery and help out for crush and do things like that. So it's a pretty pretty cool process. I think, kind of interpreting your journey and the kinds of things that I've seen like in your bio and all of that, you love different cultures? You love traveling? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Is it something that, did you... You know, what is it called? The leap year? No, that's not what they call it. The Where you don't go to college for a year and you go and you just travel the world. And oh, like a year abroad. A year or, abroad. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever get an opportunity to go do that? Not not before school. Um, I, I got to spend a summer in, in Alaska before college and that was pretty fun. I worked up there and just yeah. got to kind of tinker and, and screw off and <laughs> that was cool. But it really was not till after college that my wife and I, uh, we spent three months in, in Europe, uh, starting North Europe and traveling all the way to Southern Europe and really got to do that. So that was kind of my, my year abroad, so to speak, compressed into three months. So, uh, but yeah, it was good, good times. When you travel like that, there's a couple things that are, that they're my priorities always. Uh-huh. Napping for one, cause I'm not working, right? <laughs> yeah. Two, eating. Three, drinking, right? So for you, what is the lens that you use when you travel as a guy who knows process grew up around wine what's the things what are the types of things that you like to do i mean eating travel? for sure like i i you know i i love to tap into local cuisine and usually that requires you to get off the beaten track a little bit because yeah. you, you know you can go to the best restaurants look those up but really the really good restaurants are the ones that are a block or two out of the way mm -hmm. and so so yeah eating for sure you know Going to the pub, I mean, for sure, going to whatever they locally consume and how they consume it. So, you know, whether it's drinking crazy Ristina and, and, and uh, Greece and some, you know, kind of awful things that they, are, <laughs> they locally consume. But, I mean, every culture has some way that they make alcohol and consume mm. it, right, with whatever they have available to them. And it's pretty fascinating to see, like, where there's a will, there's a way. The greatest cultures and empires in the world are the bed at the bedrock is great booze yeah you know true. You, no culture really actually developed unless they were able to make booze this is now i learned a little bit about the ottoman empire right this week in serbian brandies okay maybe that's different those guys didn't really drink but eastern europeans they found a way right so what i'm kind of interested in because you seem like a creative guy obviously you worked in accounting quite a while as well but you studied, studied environmental sciences, is that I, right? I did. I studied environmental At science. You see Berkeley, yeah, right? I had, Tell me what that means. Um, you know, I had desires of helping save the planet. Yeah. And so I, I, I found, first of all, to get into Cal with not the best grades in the world, I found a back route to get in there, which was this College of Natural Science. Hmm. I was already kind of interested in science and natural sciences. And so I kind of fell into this major where I was like, okay, cool. It's a less impacted major. College of Environmental Science, uh, the and and then I ended up with it. I'm like, I don't, I don't I guess I don't need to change this major because it's kind of cool. And it, yeah. it gave me some different options. It gave me kind of a good backbone of finance, and I did take a fair amount of finance classes. But I really had aspirations of like, hey, I'm going to go work for Greenpeace or I want to do something like help save the planet, you know. And then and then life changes and evolves, <laughs> and you you priorities shift and. I needed to go get a job and it was in finance but yeah i always had kind of this passion and i've always loved being outside in nature and i always want to leave things 
better, if not as good as they were when I was there. Right. So I've always had a huge, uh, you know, appreciation for nature. The the flavor and the way that activism looks now is a little bit different. Are you still able to contribute? Because I, I, we were talking about waste in California, some laws that were passed and stuff, which is really pretty progressive in Texas. We we had enough space here, we just throw it on the ground. Yeah, right? like, I lived in Idaho for seven years. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Like, you just toss stuff out the window. But in terms of you remaining engaged in these causes that mean something to you still, are you still pretty actively involved, whether it's legislation in California, whether it's online campaigns, Greenpeace, these kinds of things, or even more simply, has that drive to want to change and help, has that changed and gone away at all as you've started to become it, older? It's still there. I mean, I, I would like to think that I, I try to participate where I can, but no, I, I really would like to double down on that as I get older. And I see the opportunities for that as I continue to grow. And, and whether, whatever business, whether it's what I'm doing now, I can I can tap into that more or if it's just something I do in my twilight careers. But it's, yeah, definitely something that I, I read a lot, you know, I, I, I try to educate myself. I you know, try to make the good choices I can in our mm. personal lives. But, but yeah, I've always found that it's something that it's, I, I, I feel like as a plan, and especially now as a parent, that, you know, we have a, a responsibility to, to try and make things better. And I think there's, there's lots of opportunities to do that. And even if it's little things like, you know, uh, taking care of your personal space and your, your environment and, and, you know, I carrying with you reusable bottles or whatever, mm -hmm. just, you know, pointing out to people a little, just little things you can do. Knowing that it's kind of the area of social media as well. And, you know, Redwood Empire has a great presence, but you kind of being, I don't say figurehead, but a functional master distiller has a lot of cachet these days. That's a, that's a term that'll get you an autograph in Paris kind of thing. You know what I mean? So yeah. <laughs> Without any formal education, it's pretty fun. I, that's the best part. I love yeah, it. I can right. call myself. We can call ourselves experts about just about anything. Yeah. Have you had to navigate what and who you are as a distiller online? I didn't notice that you had a lot of accounts or Instagram and stuff like that. But has that been something that you kind of have to navigate kind of carefully, given so many eyes, so many people looking to call you out, call a distillery out? Has it been challenging for you? It really has. I mean, it's, it's only been in the last couple of years that we've really gotten on the radar. And so it really hasn't become an issue yet. I I uh, purposefully uh, really keep myself mostly offline. Mm -hmm. I just, that's not, that's not something I've ever really been into in my free time. I mean, I spending most of my adult career in finance and accounting and staring at spreadsheets and doing all that sexy stuff. I, as soon as I get away from work, I, I want to be outside. I want to be away from computers. I want to be my hands in the dirt or fishing rod in my hand right. or, or out going for a hike or somewhere at the beach. So I, I, I really don't spend a lot of time on, on devices outside of my work environment. Do you have to, knowing that you work quite a bit, now you're, you're in Texas here for at least three, four cities doing a nice tour. Yep. Do you have to set that side? Like, do you have to be really, really purposeful about setting that time aside to get those things that you need from nature, whether it's fishing or whether it's quiet, or does it just kind of come naturally that you make time for that? Um, I, you know, I'll, I'll have to store it up, and and I, I'm gonna have to bank that when I get back. Yeah. But it's pretty easy to get where I'm at. I mean, we live in Sonoma County. It's arguably one of the most beautiful places in the world. Mm. Like, half hour from the ocean, half hour from beautiful redwood forests. You know, we've got great food around us, so. There's lots of opportunities to get that where we're at, so I'll, I'll cash that in when I get home on, on on Saturday morning. You you ever done a long drive through Texas, kind of going west? 
I actually have. One of my best friends uh, went to high school together, and then he went to uh, Texas A&M, okay. call station, you know. So we came out uh, b- before uh, college. His dad lived in College Station, and we drove to West Texas to go uh, deer hunting. Oh, yeah. And that was, that was an experience of a lifetime. It's yeah. a beautiful place, but might we be able to agree that California is a lot more beautiful than yeah i mean beauty's in the eye of the beholder right i mean there's different kinds of beauty whatever you're into but it's there's a is a stark kind of beauty yeah it no right i'd even say bleak at times (laughs) (laughs) the lifelessness of of west texas right if you call the moon beautiful well or what is the the lights and mar the marfa lights is a beautiful kind of natural current there are certain things right but i do agree that you know the ocean if we had a little more Galveston is not a scenic place to go visit the yeah, ocean. You know? True. Well, I mean, just... we all have our jam, right? Like my my wife, she's she's a forest person. Yeah. Her her happy place, her church, so to speak, is being in in a redwood forest with with just the sounds of nature and nobody talking. I love that. And that's cool. And I, I I love that. But for me, being at the ocean is where I I love to be. I used to surf in high school. I actually got to surf in Hawaii. We went out for a couple weeks ago. Oh, and when I, you went to Maui? Yeah. A couple oh, cool. Weeks ago. I hadn't done that in, in many years, and and. Got back up on the board unbelievably, and I was like, oh my God, I can still do this. And But just for me, being on the ocean and looking out at the ocean, seeing the vastness of our planet and feeling small, for me, that makes me feel good. Like, I mean, some people, I don't know that, that that's overwhelming, but mm. for me, that that makes me feel uh, like I'm in my place, right? Like I've been put in my place, and I'm just one of these small specks on this earth, yeah. and, and you know, I'm having my time. But for me, that's my jam. I like being on the ocean, being at the beach. I, lo- I love that. There's this, it's a Buddhist saying, and I'm going to paraphrase it, right? Yeah. But I'm with you. The expansive space of which we exist in, within, makes me feel more real and, and part of the whole thing, right? Yep. But there's love this that. kind of saying, right, where the a stream, before it hits an edge, we're all together. It's one piece or one flow of water. But our life is the trickles and the drops falling off, but then we are all brought back together as it hits the bottom. So okay. it, it's, I love that. that, that and it's stuff. a water metaphor too, exactly. which, is, which I love. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really kind of meaningful thing, but that kind of occurred to me when you said that, right? That we, we being part of something large, right? I really do like that. Yep. Nature speaks to you, I imagine. Yes. And I don't think that's a crazy thing to say. Like it, it gives us something. So is that where you obtain your most quiet, and your most solace just in nature, whether it is water or for your wife, of course, the forest. Yeah, I mean, for me, for sure. I mean, I just I love you know going out for a hike, and I've got a dog again now, and oh. just, you know going out for a hike or with the kids when they'll come with me. But it doesn't take much for me. But just yeah, a moment of quiet yeah. nature. You know, it's it's a good place. The maybe the most intriguing part of this story, right, is you're doing numbers, you're working with spreadsheets. Usually the guys, sorry, the folks using spreadsheets and Excel and all of this, they're not the ones operating stills. And for good reason. Yeah. You know, I like the exactness, but already we'd cover the fact that is you like to, to create and maybe tinker and find new ways to do things. How did they know you were, in a, you know, as the story goes, if people read these articles about you, you know, you, you were a baker, knew how to make bread, home brewer for 20 years, just kind of fundamental talents that you had. But what was that conversation like where like, hey, Jeff, um, can you get out from your desk for a second? <laughs> yeah, I, I, it was more of me going, I need to get out from my desk for more than a second. And I think I'd, I'd identified and I was I was coming up on 40 and that I'd been doing what I'd been doing long enough and I was looking for a change yeah. professionally. And 
uh, you know, was hoping to be able to do that internally at my company, but willing to do something else as well. And uh, our owner, Derek, sold our, our big wine brand, Mark West, and there was talk of a distillery happening. Mm. And I, I kind of saw that as my golden opportunity because while I've always had wine in the background and I have a huge appreciation for it, it's never really been my personal passion. I've always been more of a beer guy. I, I love fermentations, but I love the, the you know, kind of more the bread and the beer fermentations mm-hmm. and the quick and the dirty and the nature of those. And so that was, you know, I'd been doing that already on the side. There was talk of this distillery happening. I had already been kind of bringing in some beer for people to try and, and I would bring in like Monday mornings was kind of my morning to bring in bread. I love to make, uh, you know, baguettes. I would, oh, yeah. I would, I would, you know, pizza stone baguettes, bring them in. There's nothing better than putting a fresh baguette on a counter with a slab of butter and then just watching the joy in people's face. And that's why, again, talking about traveling again, you go to France, you know, and you go to Paris and, mm-hmm. you know, there's the simple joys of food. And so, you, you know, and a baguette is just, and 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 butter is just you can't get more simple than that but the joy that you can get out of people I, it's such a great that is the best example because the perfect baguette fresh slightly warm but for salt for you unsalted butter with a pinch of sea salt or salted butter or neither uh i mean mostly salted butter just because that's easier i mean yeah. obviously the unsalted with the pinch of butter is the go-to but you know just salted salted cube i mean most people freak out when you give them unsalted butter <laughs> like, what is, what this, is just this? fat yeah exactly that's precisely yeah what it well, is. and is there anything wrong with that yeah never anything <laughs> yeah wrong so with i was fat. i was you know i was bringing that stuff in and then there was talk of the distillery and i got to be involved kind of from a financial side of mm. helping we were starting to talk about okay we are going to build a distillery our owner derek's really excited about this and and when Derek gets passionate about something, you know it's going to happen. He has a track record for that. He has had results. And so it was coming. I got to be involved with with helping from a financial standpoint, but I, I really wanted to do more. So I kind of started to quietly insinuate myself into the discussion. And I think I was somewhat heard, but not really. And then I, you know, I just got a little noisier about it. And <laughs> what uh, does noisier mean, you, like, Jeff? You seem like a polite guy. Yeah, you know, I just like I just kept uh asking like what else can i do how else can i be involved and so i got the opportunity to kind of work with our our distiller that was pegged as our day one distiller mm-hmm. uh, we brought him in pretty early we'd hoped to be up operational sooner than we were as you know no distillery ever starts on time wow. that's just due to many things um but so we were late starting so he was there quite a bit before so we kind of got a cross train i was trying to help him understand our company structure and business overall and he was giving me some distilling chops and we were just kind of chatting through stuff. And meanwhile, I had a tiny five gallon pot at home. I was trying to play on and do stuff with the mm-hmm. beer I'd been making and lots of mistakes, but happy mistakes, whatever, you know. Any mistakes that caused you to take a step back and say, I probably need to study this a little more deeply? Yeah, I mean, the the cuts are no joke. And, and, <laughs> and trying to make spirits on a five gallon pot is really hard. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, people yeah. take that for granted. like. They sell them online. You can go get one. I mean, you're legally not allowed to do it, but every a lot of people do it. But yeah. it's making a cut at that small level actually takes a level of precision that you should be trained to do. And yeah. so it was a little scary yeah, making stuff and being like, I, I don't know if this stuff's going to be a drinkable or b hazardous you know so <laughs> or both yeah. which is the best and, and 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 you don't really know because it's a sliding scale it's not like it's it's toxic or not it can be it can be slightly toxic or very toxic or somewhere in between so right. yeah that gave me a little bit of pause whereas beer it's low alcohol fermentations even if they stick 
you're left with kind of a weird sour beer, but it's mm. still pretty drinkable because of the, I, I had a pretty comfortable grasp of what was going to or going to not hurt me on the beer level. And so that definitely gave me pause and it was like, okay, maybe we, you know, maybe we wait and get a little more knowledge on this. It's, it's tough. I mean, you're working with nature and nature can be controlled as much as you want to think you can control it. That's the whole metaphor about the Titanic, right? Right, the right. The Titanic thought it could beat nature. Well, we know how that turned out. Yeah, right? water always wins. It does always <laughs> win, absolutely. Now, having done this for quite some years, did you find a clear space for maybe a type or a category of spirit that you knew you needed to make that you never thought would be possible? I know we're simply again sipping the, the bottom bond ride, which is, is lovely. But was rye something you wanted to do first? Did you want to do kind of a conventional bourbon, maybe a grain whiskey? Yeah, I mean, uh, single malt's always been something I've really wanted to do. That hasn't really been something we've talked about a lot because, you know, especially in 2012 when the discussion started or 2015 when we got operational, mm. not really much of a thing. I mean, you know, Westland was kind of doing their thing. All right. There was a couple, I think McCarthy, there was a couple distilleries that were kind of paving the way for the rest of us, but quietly. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the aspirations of we're going to do a single malt company and I'm going to get to make a, a bunch of single malt was not really a thing, but I was definitely quietly laying some down on the side and hopeful that that was going to be something later. I mean, bourbon pays the bills. So, you know, I, I, I have a, I have a financial background. I understand how things work. Right. I mean, in order for me to get to continue to play and make the stuff I want to make, we have to be successful as a company and make enough of the things that that we can do well with and sell well and and grow our company so there was some knowledge of that i kind of called it like the 90 10 rule where like 90 percent <laughs> of the time um you know there was an obligation and really a self um self-drawn obligation to to make what we needed to make as a company mm -hmm. but then there was that 10 percent where i felt that i could really do a little bit more creative playing and so for sure malt fell into that we did some kind of weird unclassified things later, which uh, I don't know, maybe they'll see the light of day someday, but like malt with malted wheat in it, which oh, now cool. is not really a category right. or something that's not legally a rye or a malt because it was rye and used oak or mm. you know things like that. So uh, we learned early on and I have some things that are happy mistakes maybe, or maybe you know there'll be opportunities later, uh, but that was really in that 10% pool, right? The 90%, I mean, I think I was old enough and structured enough where I just, I knew that for us to be successful, like I had to kind of keep that a little bit tempered. Well, you know, it's funny. You mentioned 90-10, which is a pretty good ratio. At Google, it's 80-20. Okay. I don't know if you knew, you know, no. obviously Pareto is pretty normal, you know, Pareto. But yeah, so they hire you. So 80% of your time you spend on the thing they hired you for. Right. right. The thing that makes the money. Yep. But they also then a lot, 20%. For you to go work on extraneous kinds of other projects. Oh, that would have been nice. It's pretty, <laughs> yeah. I only got 10%. I, mean, I know, a whole extra 10%. <laughs> the, the, it, you know, one thing that's really undeniable, and I'll tell you the moment that I knew bourbon became a huge, huge, huge thing. Once my dad started sending me pictures of bottles in the stories, like, have you had this? <laughs> I knew it had changed. It yeah. reached a whole new market, a whole new age bracket, and all of that. Have you seen that shift in people being really... now? I'm an equal opportunity drinker. I love all categories, you know. Right. I'll drink even all of the bourbon distilleries because I think that's what you need to do to try to understand spirits. But the growth of bourbon has been just monumental. Yeah, it's a juggernaut. I mean, it's pretty phenomenal. It's bound to open some doors for y'all as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, it definitely has. I mean, early on, we, we didn't talk about bourbon as being our focus because we wanted to do something different. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us, you know, it's creatively, we want to do something different. But... 
I think it's that balancing act of realizing that you can do some stuff different, but you can't, you still have to play within the, the bounds and the rules. And so, you know, I, I smartly early on made some decisions to, to, to really focus on bourbon, you know, probably about 60% of the time. Yeah. And that's, that's really allowed us to, to, to really catapult more and more into success. I mean, I, I think our other whiskeys are doing well as well, but it's pretty tough to beat bourbon from a, from a sales standpoint. When you're out in the market now, like you've been this week, but you said for the past couple of years since travel's kind of back on, yep. you've been able to be in market. Do you find that the questions are different now about how you make, maybe how you source? Is the, the knowledge level of either on-prem people or off-prem people, has it changed since? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, you know, it's it, from all levels up. I mean, the consumer's more knowledgeable. There's there's no hiding anymore yeah. behind, you know, what you do because you will, you will be outed. And so... And, and fortunately for us, we've always been very honest about our, our model and we're a, definitely a hybrid model. We're, we're both producing, distilling mm -hmm. in-house from grain, but we're also sourcing. And, and, and I've, I've never shied away from that. I mean, personally for me and for my head distiller, Lauren, we, we embrace it and we love it. I mean, I have 16,000 whiskey barrels that is our playground to play with. And, you know, probably about a little less than 5,000 is whiskey we've made in-house, mm -hmm. but, but the rest of those are also part of our, our library to play with. And those give us an incredible amount of opportunity to create, you know, really fun new things. And so, yeah, not all of it's ours, but, but it, it is now under our care and, right. and, and curation. We, yeah, curation. Yeah. yeah. And, we, and we get to kind of see it to completion. And so I think, you know, as long as you're honest about that, and I think that that dialogue has continued to shift where for a while it was very clear cut where you're, if you're if you're sourcing, you're not in that craft conversation, right? right. You're immediately excluded from that group, <clears throat> unless you're a hundred percent grain to glass. You're grain to grain to. Uh, you, you, that's it. I mean, you have to be like they want you to to be growing your own grains in your backyard too, mm -hmm. right? Like why why aren't you growing your own your own <laughs> barley? You know, why your, don't you have a scar? Right, your, your right hand from right. harvesting the grains. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that conversation has shifted to how does it taste? Yeah. And, and then okay, so so. It tastes good. Okay, great. Now let's get into the details about it. But, but if we can't pass the the first gate mm -hmm. of it of it tasting pleasant for whatever you're into, and that's a very subjective thing as well. But you know, arguably, it, it has to taste pretty good. Or why are we even having this conversation? Right. Like it's because at the end of the day, we're we're tasked with creating consumable beverages that are are going to be consumed for you know a moment of time or a period of time, and then they're gone. Like yeah. It's, so we're, we're just trying to create an experience. I, it, that's what it is. It, I always consider it art, and there is an art to blending. And a lot of people, it was it became kind of passe for a few years. I think people were getting back to it. But, you know, you, you never, rather, people almost always underestimate the beautiful blending talents of making Johnny Walker, for instance. Oh, man. Right? And, and making like, it consistently, consistently, too. Consistently. That's something that people also don't understand. Is that And that, for us, being a, a pretty good-sized wine company already, we came out of the gate and again, I think there were some expectations that we put on ourselves that not all small distilleries had where we felt, and I personally felt that we needed to make, at least for our core lineup, consistent products. Mm -hmm. You can make the best thing in the world. If you can't replicate it for batch two, then you're really kind of in trouble if you want to scale your operation because you're going to get a following you know, sooner rather than later. And people are, they want to know, they want to have that assurance that what they've tried, they'll be able to try again and have mm -hmm. some level of consistency. Absolutely. I've asked this question to a lot of the blenders that I've interviewed because I, I think in color and music a lot when I'm blending or, or 
yeah you know determining cuts for certain things you know for you when you're crafting a blend do you what it how what is the the device that you have in your head is it a spreadsheet is it a and I, I say that without any right. criticism. No, but no, like, man. I, but like, is it? I a, embrace my spreadsheets. Okay. <laughs> They're pretty helpful yeah. most of the oh, time. Yeah. But a pie chart, for instance, yeah. could could be a visual element. But like, what kinds of things are in your head when you're you're blending? Or is it purely smell? Or is it sight? How it's, do you? It's it's definitely musical symphony for me. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm looking for a rich, full experience mm-hmm. uh, from the consumer, right? So I I really want to to add um, a, a breadth of, of flavors that are going to that are hit at different places and different times. Yeah, so I'm trying to create that, that you know, not that one note effect where, yeah. you know, that you can have a one very powerful note, and that's great. And there are, there are uh, spirits out there like that, where they're phenomenal on one note, but I, I really like more of the overall experience. Mm. So I like that, like, the full symphony experience where you're getting things firing you got the piccolos and you got the 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 bass Uh drum going and you got things firing together and they're all kind of triggering different synapses and and getting a more of a full body experience so so, and you don't have to answer this but i uh, sometimes like wagner kind of comes to mind Mm -hmm. when you're talking about or or krieg right these big powerful kinds of things for you though just just keep talking about this in musical terms bitter notes for me are bass or low mids, right? Right. Or maybe earthiness, minerality, right. right? Acidity, brightness, fruit is top end piccolos too. Yeah. Where where do you really enjoy the most presence of the flavor? Knowing of course it'll still be balanced, but are you a low end guy? Is it more mid for you? I mean it's more mid to high. I'm I'm a big jazz fan. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm always thinking a little bit more along the jazz lines and the and the um the the horns you know and, and somewhere mm-hmm. in that in that level but uh yeah i mean i want i mean i think if you've tasted through our lineup i think there's a consistency that you're going to get throughout where there is a level of restraint and there's i mean we're, we're looking for a level of balance but uh almost beyond balance but a little bit of restraint where we're kind of i think we've dialed it back just a little bit Can, uh, tell me more about this not the process of restraint but the thing of which you were trying to restrain I mean, I just, I want there to also be a little null space, like a I little see. bit of empty space as well. So I don't want everything to to hit you all at once, but there also to be, I don't know, it's hard to explain. No, I mean, but, I, but, no but I absolutely, you talk about jazz, right? And so the notes of three people playing, let's say sax, pianist and drummer, right? Right. That music is just as effective because of what's not being played. Yes. And so I think maybe that's kind of what you're saying is that the resonance of these notes that do exist allow other spots to sit back. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think you can, you can overdo it. And so it's trying to find that balance where, uh, yeah, that, that null space works with, uh, you know, what you've got together. So it's kind of creating something that has, has, has a level where, I don't know, it's a happy, it's a happy place. Yeah. I like that. No, it balances a great word. Once you start talking jazz, people get it, you know, for the most part. Florian gets it as he winks at us. Yeah, he certainly gets it. <laughs> I always think of um, of Tron, the second Tron, Tron Legacy, the, da- the Daft Punk. Not one. not the best movie ever, but yeah, the Daft and 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 uh, and Jeff, uh, you know, oh, digital jazz man. Yeah. Like that, he's got that one segment where he's talking about it. It's like I, I love that. I mean, I love how people talk about jazz, yeah. and how jazz has stand, stood the test of time, and it's just continues to influence our culture over and over again as does whiskey yeah you know as does whiskey it's so. a super evergreen kind of thing 
Well, I know you got a busy schedule here in, in Texas. I got a couple questions left for you, but you know, we're looking at five incredible bottles here and I don't ask what's your favorite. I hate that question. I think it's, it depends on what it is. I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I don't <laughs> want to do that, but do you prefer, cause you're looking at a bottle and bond, of course, 50% ABV. What's the regular pipe dream bourbon run at? It's like what? 45. 40, 45. Yeah. Do you, do you personally prefer higher proof, lower proof, or does it just depend on what the situation is? I mean, it totally depends. I mean, I, I think we've got a little bit of a, a proof, uh, craze happening right now people are chasing proof and you you know by law you can't go into a barrel above 125 so Mm -hmm. these things that are coming out at 140 i mean that takes some serious (laughs) science to get something to 140 and so i'm not a huge fan of that but that being said i mean i have tasted some really high proof things that if you tasted me blind on it i wouldn't have been able to tell you it was that high so Mm -hmm. i think that that proof is just a number and it's it's one of many you know things that that are helpful to a label to help you decide if you want to purchase it or not. But yeah. I think you can put too much stake into that. And so I, I try to I try to not get over the top on that. That being said, anything much below ninety is 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 a little bit too light for my palate. Yeah. I mean, I think I've I've had probably too much spirits at this point in my life where <laughs> I want to taste things a little bit higher than ninety. I mean, that's something with agave you know, spirits that I'm, I'm hoping to see more of that. And it might be that we just don't see a lot of it over here, but I, you know, it just seems like a lot of that is on a little bit of the lower side of the alcohol and the ones that I've tasted that are slightly higher, more around a hundred. I find oh, those, yeah. I find those infinitely more interesting. Absolutely with you. And then at some point in your life, I'll make sure to bring a bunch of mezcal to a place and we'll sit there and we'll drink through all the States of Mexico. I, Sweet. I, I vow for that, that piece. I've, I think I've done it with these guys already, but so Next step is next stop rather is Houston tomorrow. You said correct. So we were at Dallas yesterday, today Austin, Houston. Any other stops planned for the Texas tour? Not the Texas tour. I'm going to be back next month in Arkansas and Oklahoma, oh, cool. which will be fun. I have not been to either of those cities, yeah. so super looking forward to it. I mean, I'm very fortunate that I'm at this point in my career and this current position where I get to do what I get to do. I get to go out in the world, and a lot of what I do, I don't see myself as a sales person when I'm out in market, I see mm. myself as an educator. So I get to ask questions and I, I constantly want people to ask questions. Yeah. And I and I, I don't know the answers to a lot of them. And then that's like, cool, I gotta go find that out. But when I do, I, I, it's super uh, humbling for me to be able to, to educate and talk about this cool thing that we get to experience. And at the end of the day, it's whiskey, right? Yeah. You know, so I'm very, I, uh, I'm very blessed to get to do what I get to do. So it's, it's super fun to go out into different markets and, and do this. Knowing your predilection and passion towards food, wanting to be a chef at some point as well, do you feel that inertly, and it, to me it feels like you do, but inertly that you have those hospitality skills too, to take care of others, to provide a good experience? Because in a sense, this moment, your tastings, your education kind of would rely on some of that hospitality. But does that within you kind of internally? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's an interesting insight. I mean, I, I would definitely say I'm, I'm more of an introvert Personally, that's who I feel I am. But since I've taken on this role, I've been able to open up more. And and yeah, I mean, hey, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with ma- making f- people feel good, right? And yeah. it's like, and if you can, you know, have enjoy a glass of whiskey together and make somebody give them a little piece out of their day where they're feeling a little happier and and do a little educating along the way. And yeah, it's it's there's nothing wrong with that. Taking care of other people, it's a great thing. Yeah. All right, so I got one last question. Okay. And this is, I'm, I got to go music now because we've been talking about jazz a little bit. But let's say you can drink this Redwood Empire, the bottom bod rye. 
with any musician, living or deceased, who might you like to sit down and have a conversation and dram with? Ooh, that's a tough one. All right. <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's a couple that I, th- I think would be interesting, but I don't know, man. That's you know, some of the, some of like you go back in jazz, some of the classic, you know, you know, like Etta Etta James or you know, Miles mm-hmm. Davis would be interesting. I don't know if that would be. It depends <laughs> upon where you get him, right? You know, you know, but it's, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. That's that's a tough one. You know, I, I don't know if I have a direct answer for that. I that's think, right. But but yeah, I mean, I think it would be, you know, maybe one of those to start. Edit James, yeah. that'd be great. Yeah, hanging out with Miles Davis again when you caught him. Yeah, if it's on the. I might not want to give him whiskey. Might be yeah, good. maybe maybe we wouldn't drink whiskey. Together, <laughs> but we would we would chat, right? But, yeah, yeah. But I, I get it. That makes a ton of sense. It's been really a pleasure getting to sit here at the man. We're we're at the rooftop bar at Second Bar and Kitchen, right? Yeah, on East Sixth. This is the second time I got to do the interview here, and this room keep this room keeps getting better and better. It's a beautiful space. It's cool, right? Yeah. Well, we'll take some pictures of whiskey, maybe have another dram. But Jeff, thanks so much for sitting down and chatting with me, dude. And hopefully we keep in touch and share more cool. amazing, I mean, a single malt that you might be working on. All yeah. right. I'll trade you some for that. Yeah, single malt's coming out in the fall. Amazing. Perfect. Yeah. Cool. Chat soon. Thank you very Cheers. much. Cheers. Well, there we have it. Jeff Duckhorn from Redwood Empire Whiskey. Some really nice whiskeys. I wasn't super familiar. And then I got their cast strength rye. That was kind of a limited release. And try that bottled and bond rye. Really, really spectacular stuff but it's great getting to know him talk about kind of his methodology and that you know all master distillers they kind of have a way about things they think of things in their head sometimes it's music sometimes it's chords and colors and all of that and i'd like to hear jeff talk about his methodology in a way this is like one of the, my favorite things about interviewing people that make spirits is like what do you see in your head when you make this thing do you feel a texture do you taste something all different kinds of ways to go about it and it was really a great conversation and get to sit down with him and thank you for his reps you know you had justin ellie and florian that were helping me coordinate the interview so thanks everybody for listening to show to v with mike g i don't know any couple weeks now i'm looking forward to releasing this new record i'm gonna keep announcing it but it's the best production i think i've ever been able to do i don't know if it's the most emotional record but you feel it and i'm still thinking about watching the golden girls all over again So please keep dancing.